So, Brian, we were talking about... <laughs> yeah, Brian said, don't say all right, Brian. <laughs> so, Brian, we were talking about Mars and a bunch of different stuff with Mars. Now, I'm not, I'm not a NASA engineer. I'm not an expert, but I read a lot on Mars. I read a lot on outer space. Like, for example, when recording this, I just launched the James Webb Telescope up. It'll be in place in about a month, so you can date this podcast back to when we're recording it. But this kind of stuff interests me, and it interests Brian, too. And we wanted to kind of, like, just kind of riff on Mars a little bit, because that is kind of our next big step as a space program to take, other than all these probes and everything we're sending. Right, Brian? Yes. So launch out onto the loop with us today as we discuss preparing for Mars. Today on Curiosity Continuum. Hey everybody, this is Brian. And this is Josh. Welcome to the podcast for Curiosity Continuum. Curiosity Continuum is an industry-innovating, non-traditional company passionate about growing wisdom in the next generation. We are the essential bridge between the analog and digital worlds by building collaborative communities that unleash the power of adaptive expertise and innovation needed to thrive in the 21st century. We combine and mix essential elements needed to empower people to succeed in new ways not possible outside of a creative, thoughtful, diverse community of fellow curious people. Follow us on your favorite podcast app to receive notifications of new content. If you like what you hear and want to dive deeper, visit us at curiositycontinuum.com. Thanks for tuning in. Let's start the conversation. So Brian thought he was being clever uh, with the intro and having me <laughs> do the a reverse intro so that I would have to start this conversation off and talk about Mars and Mars preparation and all that kind of stuff. But... Honestly, I just didn't know the way, because this was Brian's topic, <laughs> I didn't know the exact way he wanted to take it through the, the serpentine of life here, uh, or of an episode, how we kind of weave through these episodes. So I want to throw it back to him so he can ask some questions, or at least get us going in the direction he wants to go. Clever girl. <laughs> Josh is the velociraptor. I'm like looking at him as he does that. Sorry. Sorry, everybody. <laughs> um. Preparation for Mars. Now, look, here's the deal. Not everybody's going to love sciencey things like this. Okay, Josh and I are both real big sci-fi fans. Josh is actually the one that stoked those fires in me in our friendship. And what's been really fun, especially as you look at a lot of even tech innovation over the last probably 30 years, a lot of sci-fi fans that have driven the innovations that are now real-world things like cell phones and other stuff. What more Mars? importantly, I think it's oh. more like the it's the sci-fi writers that have like written things and then people like us grew up and go, hey, I want to make that. And so that's kind of like what they were doing. So it was that idea of sparking the imagination. I think that's what Brian and I just really kind of grab onto. And I think that's what uh, I think that's the way Brian is kind of going to go with this. Right, Brian? Yeah, because the creative process informed the engineering requirements. Sometimes right. the engineers inform other things, and I get that. And it's two different types of creativity expressed differently, right? I think what I love about something like Mars is it's so beyond what we can do right now. There is no playbook to say, and this is exactly how you get to Mars. Right. We don't even know how 
how much, you know, uh, what the air is going to be like for us to be able to you get enough oxygen to be able to make sure we're breathing 24 seven. Those are math problems that are still being worked out if I'm correct. Right, Josh? Right. I mean, Brian and I have had conversations with people that actually know, and we've been talking to some of these people and some of them are working on these problems and the astronomical amount of problems. There are about a hundred thousand problems right now to solve before we can go there and survive. So, Obviously, you're not going to be able to just walk on the surface of Mars and breathe because there's no oxygen like there is here. <laughs> so we have to bring everything that a human being requires to survive. And then if you want to come back, we got to bring all that stuff, too. That's a lot of stuff. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Think about and this would be an analogy to the to parents. Think about when you packed up your kid when it was a newborn baby or a small child to go somewhere. Your whole back of your car was full of stuff. And that's just two parents supporting one human that's already alive and breathing and can, doesn't need <laughs> everything <laughs> to live, right? It just needs a few things for the day. Now imagine if you needed to bring everything you needed to actually survive with you. And then when you're there to survive... And then when you come back. So a lot of these problems are logistical in nature, obviously. We're sending stuff ahead of the people. Or we're going to send stuff to resupply people while they're there. So these are some of the problems that are being solved by all over the world, not just in the United States. I mean, it's everybody, kind of like any person that is in engineering is probably thinking of these problems. Right, Brian? They are. And honestly... With these type of situations, you need some good old common sense. Yeah. Now, I and I please hear me. I mean, no disrespect to these engineers working on it because they are doing a job. I have no idea about all the ramifications that are needed for that. The closest person in this podcast would be Josh because <laughs> he was headed in an aerospace engineering direction. What I mean is this, though, is that engineering only won't solve the pile of problems that the human right. race needs in order to get us to Mars. So this is one of those huge challenges that the world needs to come together on to solve. Because when you're talking about anything off the earth, there is no United States. There is no Europe. There is no, you know, China. There is no South Korea. Yeah. It's Mars. And it's like and, international and waters. Yeah, yeah, it's humans out there. So, And I mean, there are actual treaties that people have signed, countries have signed, that says like we cannot plant flags on other country or other planets and stuff like that. Like the moon is one of them. Now Mars, I don't know if they have any real treaties on that and that kind of stuff because governments were thinking, oh, we're going to go there and claim Mars for the United States. I mean, come on. How can you claim a whole planet, right? <laughs> well, the U.S. would probably and, take that And how could, you how could you enforce it if you could, right? That's the thing. So in this idea is we're looking in the spirit of collaboration. And I would say that the closest thing we have a recent memory would be COVID, where the entire world came together and figured out a vaccine in record time. So if the entire world can do that, we know that they can do this. It's just more steps. And so Brian and I have been talking to people and some other people that are kind of in the know. And they're like, yeah, we are working on these problems. So hopefully at some point in the future, we can get one of them on here to talk a little bit. That'd be awesome. 
That'd but, be super awesome. Yep. It would be it would it would also scratch all the uh, middle school sci-fi nerd <laughs> things that Josh and I wanted to, you know, oh man, this is really cool. When when you talk about something like problem solving like this. So, let I'm just going to back up a moment and say, yeah. If you love solving problems, then this adventure is for you because right. you have to not only think about the, uh, the, how do I breathe? That's a core thing that we very much take for granted on the earth. Honestly, until you right. have things like pollution, but now you even have something like a biodome and I want Josh to explain his salt tank aquarium adventures because it really applies to biodome and even like the level of consideration you have to have. Yeah. So just like Brian alluded to, I, I had a saltwater aquarium for a while. I have one now, but I don't actually have it set up just because of the enormous amount of time and resources it takes to get this thing moving. So if you've ever set up, I had a reef aquarium. And if you've ever set one of these up, it's incredible. You actually are setting up a little sliver of the ocean in your house. So I had about a 90 gallon aquarium and we had it you know, I thought, oh, I'm just going to throw a rock in there and sand and salt water and boom, I'm going to get some fish. Right. Well, I researched for about probably three months to learn like the cycle, like how the ocean survives the nitrogen cycle where it, how things like pollution breaks, like food breaks down into different categories of nitrates and nitrites and how everything like processes through and what you have to do and how you have to keep these fish alive because in the ocean if you think about it, it's a huge pool so they're used to everything being very constant it's not like a lake where a freshwater tank can go up and down in temperature wildly throughout the day but the ocean doesn't really change that fast so your tank has to kind of mimic that so everything you do is set up to be this very slow very methodical, kind of like, oh, I'm going to do this one change. I'm going to wait a week to see if this change works. So literally set up this fish tank, and it was like a month with no fish in it. And I'm testing the water, and my wife's just looking at me like I'm nuts. And one day, a friend of mine calls up and goes, hey, I have a fr- I, I bought some saltwater fish from a guy that is breaking down his tank because he doesn't want it anymore. Do you want the fish? And I'm like, I don't know if I can handle the fish yet. And he's like, well, you got the tank set up. I don't. I'm bringing them over. (laughs) And so he brought over like two fish, threw them in. We acclimated them to the water and everything, and they survived. And it it was like a great point of my like saltwater adventure. I was like, oh, they lived and they survived the night. Like I remember he brought them over like eight at night. I met him in a parking lot of a Home Depot and he had them in. He had them in. He had them in. in, I, I kid you not, saltwater, like, Ziploc bags. He goes, here's a fish. Here's another fish. Here's some rock from this guy's tank. And, you know, if you know anything about saltwater, you're not supposed to do it this way. You're supposed to quarantine this stuff, let it go by itself for a couple of weeks in a separate tank before you put it in your main tank so it doesn't bring any disease or anything. I didn't have time for that. So I put it in my main tank, acclimate it, put everything in, and I was out there. Every single hour at night, turning on the lights, looking at a flashlight, going looking. <laughs> the fish are still alive. I woke up in the morning, they were still alive. And we had these fish for over a year. And that was the beginning of my adventure with that. But it really put into perspective for me 
I mean, we were here on the earth doing something that survives on the earth. Now imagine if I'm taking that and putting it into space and shipping it somewhere and hoping it survives. Yeah. So I'm like, okay, this is going to be a big problem. <laughs> and this is when I really started actually getting more into the Mars idea. Like I really started learning more about it because it really just tickled that kind of itch with me to learn how they were doing things, how they were solving some of these problems. And this was like 10 years ago now. And some of these problems hadn't even been thought of back then. So now they're thinking of problems and believe you me, when they solve one problem, 10 more come up. So it's a literal solving of problems to solve more problems. So you get to the bare minimum requirement. And yeah, I honestly think we're don't not overwhelm. Life. Yeah. Right. And I honestly think we're not going to know all the problems. We're going to, we're going to have problems on the way. They're going to have problems when they get there. And, quite honestly if they survive it's going to be a miracle and it'll be it'll be awesome and i think they will survive but my whole thing is the whole idea is just mind-blowing to me it blows my mind that we think we can go millions of miles away and just be like oh yeah we're going to be there and there's very smart people doing this work right now we need to i want to uh call out too so like josh uh Share, he bought The Martian for me on uh, Apple TV so I could watch it because I've oh, never seen yeah. it. And I really love the movie. I think it was very well done. I really like the fact how they presented it as like, this is actually what this would be like. Now, it's still a Hollywood film. I totally get that. And I like Ridley Scott, right. so I'm just raising my hand there with it. But it was really interesting. I mean, Neil deGrasse Tyson on IMDb said that like this is like one of the most accurate representations of the problems what it would face be like. right. on a Martian landscape. Now... One, when I think about the systems here, all the systems, not like, not even just in like, here's how the oxygen recirculators might work. You think about something like botany. So in the, in the Martian, Matt Damon's character, Mark was, Mark Watney was a botanist. Botanist, And yep. I think in the book, he was a botanist and an engineer, which you'd kind of have to be. But yes. if you think about, you know, I know nothing about space. I just know about plants. Well, that's highly important because we got to eat something when we're there. And yeah, they're going to grow the, plants there. Yep. One of the most interesting internal like botany domes is actually Gaylord Opryland in Nashville, right? They're all indoor atriums. And the amount of live vegetation in this hotel is astounding, especially when you see all the different varieties. And there's a whole horticulture team that takes care of this entire biodome. It's really, it's very nice to look at. And you almost start to take it for granted that's all there, but they understand the relationships of how this plant affects that plant and the needs of this particular thing. This is a very small contained aquarium of people on a planet not close to supplies that you need to live in perfect harmony with. And that's a big challenge. That's a fun challenge because it represents, I think, the best in human beings to work out these problems for the better good it also allows people to stretch way into their creativity because right. there's no playbook. Again, it is, we are making this up as we go along, but it needs to work also. Yeah. And I think some of the problems, like we can bring this closer to home too. And a lot of people have issues with things like going to Mars or doing a probe because they're like, well, it's a political issue or you're spending money on space that can be spent here. Look, I've said this before. I'll say it again. Every dollar we spend on space is spending a dollar on the planet 
because on our planet, because we're spending it on people. We are, you know, you're making sure that that engineer is employed or that scientist gets to do what they love and they, they have a house here, they have a family, they have things here. The, all the technology we develop eventually benefits us here. Like the microwave would not have been a thing if it wasn't for the space program, you know? Uh, dehydrated food would not... Yeah, memory foam mattresses, dehydrated food. All this stuff that we take for granted that Velcro... I mean, things that like... Even though Velcro wasn't specifically invented for the space, it was very useful in space. So it got notori- you know, notor- notoriety in there. So that kind of stuff... I always feel is super important to bring up because when you're inevitably, when you're talking about this, you always will get those people that are super against this. And I understand the, you know, don't we have problems here? Yes. How do we solve those problems here? We always want to engage the best parts of being a human being, which is our curiosity, our joy of like exploration and finding out new things. Because when you're doing that stuff, Guess what? I don't have time to worry about the political ramifications of something. I need this to work. So let's get like 17 countries on this instead. And when people are actually stretching and when we're doing this, we're actually being better. Better than who the sum of our parts, in, in my opinion. I agree. Totally agree. If you haven't had the pleasure of even reading a little bit about Mars, go ahead and just take a moment to... Just read Wikipedia, just about Mars. Like, what kind of place is this? You know, like if you're yeah. going to go visit Paris, France, or you're going to go, go on, visit... I mean, go on NASA.com and look up the Curiosity rover, which takes pictures pretty much daily now, and yeah. sends them back. And you can see real live pictures of what Mars looks like. And I'm going to tell you, it doesn't look too much different than, like, the California desert. <laughs> you know? The weather's a lot different. <laughs> but... <laughs> yeah, but I mean, from the picture, like, you still see a kind of a blue sky... And yeah. you're like, you know, this could be on Earth. Like, it, it's not, even though it's so far away, it kind of looks like it could be here, you know? Yes. Those things help make the universe seem a little bit smaller. It also reinforces how big it is and how not any single one of us has all the answers to colonizing Mars or, you know, going out to the solar system and beyond to be able to explore what's there. There's so much that we still have to discover on this planet, but there's so much that in preparing for other adventures somewhere else, we're preparing ourselves here for a better life, better world, I think. Yeah. So why don't we leave it there, Brian? I know it wasn't as deep of a primer as we wanted, but it's a good start to maybe a series of episodes we'll do. Huh? Maybe we should call it preparing for preparing for Mars. <laughs> or preparing for mars part one yes (laughs) or something we'll figure it out (laughs) all right folks so until next time this is brian and this is josh for curiosity continuum Thank mm-hmm. you.